I'm Colleen, and this podcast is an inside look at recovery, which I define as a lifelong journey to get out of your own way and become your own best friend. Join me for mindset upgrades that move you from worry and regret to resilience and confidence. I'll share easy strategies for how to feel better without having to make major changes. Because it's not what you do, it's who you are. Self-care is the path to recovery because our needs are not negotiable. Before I get started on today's episode about shame and trauma, I just want to welcome all of you new listeners and just say thank you to everybody who has reached out and let me know that they're leaving reviews. Uh, I'm doing this review challenge in honor of my 50th birthday. I'm going to donate 10 bucks to the She Recovers Foundation for every review. And thank you. I see your reviews and I really appreciate it. A lot of you have taken the time to send me emails and let me know how grateful you are and that you're loving the podcast. And I really think that the reason it's growing as quickly as it is, is because more and more of us are waking up to the fact that we just can't solve our problems with the same mindsets that are creating them. So many of us are growing tired of living with the shame and trauma and toxic fault finding of ourselves and each other. We're tired of feeling disconnected and of living with dis-ease and addiction and pain and suffering because there's nothing we can do about it. It's just all getting worse. And that's why the idea that the way out is to go in is so attractive. And I do think that the only way we can heal the external world is to first heal our relationship with ourselves and our environment and then also with each other. I'm not really woo-woo, but I do believe that human beings as a species are on the verge of an evolution, like a quantum leap. Consciousness is evolving into an awareness that we are more than the physical 3D world. We've been living with a deconstructionist way of thinking, breaking things down as we look for cause and effect and looking for all the reasons that we that would explain our pain and suffering. But knowing the reasons doesn't change anything. So evolution is requiring us to stop looking for answers to shitty questions like what's wrong with us? Why is this happening? Whose fault it is? We don't need those answers. We need new questions. What else could be true? Where do we want to be? And how the heck do we get there? Our brains are problem-solving machines. We too have algorithms that are constantly learning about what we like and then selectively filtering our attention to give us more of the same. Consciousness, true consciousness, is the ability to shift your focus and direct your learning. It's called self-directed neuroplasticity, and it's real. The truth is that this podcast and my programs aren't really about sobriety. Sorry for the bait and switch, but I just think sobriety is a gateway drug. It's the gateway to your own evolution of consciousness. You have to stop assuming that you are who you think you are and start asking, who do I want to be? 
Because retraining your unconscious mind is the only way to sustain lasting behavior change. Trying harder, trying to outsmart yourself with clever new rules and habits, continually starting over on Monday, beating yourself up when you fail to meet your own expectations, that's exhausting and draining and defeating. Retraining your unconscious mind will make it possible for you to, say, have a carefree relationship with alcohol, like take it or leave it, less is more. You'll have the ability to say, I'm good, no thanks, and mean it, even when the people around you are drinking, because it's not alcohol or addiction or faulty wiring that's holding you hostage. It's your beliefs about alcohol and addiction and how you are wired. It is possible to stop wanting things that aren't good for you, be it alcohol, crappy food, toxic relationships, vaping, smoking, whatever. It is possible to feel comfortable inside your own mind and body so that you don't need or even want to numb or avoid or escape. You can learn how to think differently. It's called self-directed neuroplasticity. And you can learn how to tackle your problems and challenges and goals with a sense of self-compassion, realistic expectations, and objectivity that is not held hostage by past traumas and self-limiting beliefs. You can also learn how to keep your promises to yourself so that you don't wake up in three months or six months or a year in the exact same place you are now or worse. This podcast and my programs will give you the direction, support, and cutting edge evidence-based scientific strategies that you can actually apply immediately. Because changing how you think will change who you are at the biochemical and energetic level. And it happens quickly. That's why they call it a quantum leap. Once you learn how to unblock access to your own personal power, there's no going back. You just keep doing it in other areas. As you'll learn in today's episode, once you can recognize the fingerprints of the past where you're living in trauma, you can see there's an alternate way of being and that you have an option. You just have to reprogram your algorithm. And each one of us is capable of doing it. That's what consciousness is. And that is where your liberation has to start. You can't be free until you see yourself as free, free to choose. And that's why I produce this podcast. That's why I get up in the morning. That's what I do as a coach. I have done the work, still doing the work to change the way I feel about myself. And that is what is allowing me to come out here and change the world. You know, when I look back at where I was as a daily drinker, I thought I was just making the best of a difficult life. I was married to a controlling narcissistic prick who made all the money and therefore had all the power. My friendships felt shallow because all we did was drink and bitch about our problems. I thought I'd be happier if only I could get a divorce, move to the mountains and live by myself, assuming I could also find a way to be independently wealthy, which was never going to be possible as long as I kept drinking the way I did. And here's the truth. The misery that I was living in four years ago 
was not actually caused by my husband or where I live or what my friends are like or even how much I drink, drank. And that's why this podcast is not actually about sobriety. It's about reality. Your thoughts about your life are a reflection of what you believe. And your feelings just reflect what's happening inside of you, in your mind, not the outside world. I am now married to a kind, generous, and sexy man. I love where I live. I love what I do. And I did not get a divorce or inherit a bunch of money or make all new friends. And had I continued to think that changing the outside world was what was going to heal my inside world, then I would currently just have a bunch of new names and faces on all my old problems. So if you're new, that's who I am and that's what I do. And if you're interested in moving into action so that you're not just listening to these ideas, but actually holding yourself accountable to implement them, then get in the show notes and check out my 12-week coaching program called The Next Chapter. Because evolving your consciousness is a process, but I'm a tour guide. That's my new and improved identity. So if you're ready for a transformation, check out the show notes. There's a link there. You can send me an email. You can DM me on Facebook or Instagram. Just know that if you're interested in an inside out approach to change, lasting change, I can help. So enjoy today's episode. So today I'm going to talk about the relationship between trauma and shame. I'm going to go over what trauma is, why trauma triggers shame, um, what are the different types of trauma, how trauma affects you, and how to identify when and where it's affecting you, what unprocessed trauma looks like and the effect it has on you, as well as how trauma is healed. And I want to explain before I dig into this that a lot of the information I'm going to be talking about is from Dr. Paul Conti. I just devoured his book, Trauma, the Invisible Epidemic, and I found it so helpful. Before I got the book, I heard him on Huberman. I listened to him on Rich Roll. He also had an episode with Tim Ferriss. So if you like what I'm talking about today and you want to dig deeper, I recommend that you look into those resources. But before I get started, I want to share with you a story uh, a short story that is simple and seemingly silly, something that happened to me this week. And the reason I want to share it is because it highlights how trauma can affect you and you don't even realize what is going on. And so before I do that, let me just give you a quick definition according to Dr. Conti's definition, this is from him, of what trauma is. Trauma is anything that causes emotional or physical pain and affects how you think, what you feel, and how you behave. Trauma, when it is triggered, is in fact a stress response. You know, the fight, flight, freeze, fawn, dissociate, all of the things that happen when we go into a period of stress happens when trauma is triggered. But specifically, trauma is triggered because of something that happened in the past 
not something that's happening in the current moment. So the reason you are having a stress response when it's trauma is because of something that happened to you in the past. And this current situation reminds you either consciously or subconsciously of something that's happened in the past and something that happened in the past that was bad and painful and ultimately something that you learned from. Unfortunately, what you learned from a situation that was traumatic is that something is wrong with you. Something is wrong with who you are as a person. Or you are powerless and the world is not safe. You are not safe in the world. You need to guard against people who want to hurt you or situations where you are powerless and not in control. Whatever the event was in the past, you learned that you are insufficient, lacking, bad, stupid, sinful, ignorant, naive, gullible. The event, whatever it was that was painful that happened in the past, changed your view of who you are and how the world works. And the reason why you learned this lesson is because whatever the trauma, traumatic event was that happened, overwhelmed your nervous system in that moment. Whatever happened came at you too fast or too soon, or it was too much or went on for too long. And you felt powerless in that situation. You were not able to control it. You were not able to change it. And more importantly, you weren't able to figure out what it meant, why it was happening. And this is why so much of our unprocessed trauma comes from childhood. A few weeks ago, I did an interview with one of my clients about the role that her childhood trauma played in her addiction. That's a great episode, great interview if you want to listen to that. But she was just starting to realize that the lessons she learned about herself, the reason why she carried so much shame and perfectionistic ideas and unrealistic expectations about what was expected of her to be good and successful and happy. All of that was developed in childhood because as children, we don't have power or the ability to change things or the wherewithal to stand up for ourselves. We believe our parents when they tell us we're bad or we did something wrong and should be ashamed of ourselves. And we aren't able to separate us between them. You know, if you grew up with an alcoholic parent and sometimes your parent was amazing and let's play ball and let's spend money and everybody's happy. And then other times the exact same behaviors that you were doing resulted in you being yelled at or punished or whatever. You couldn't make sense of that. You couldn't predict what was what your parent would be. You couldn't predict when you would be safe so that you could adjust your behavior. And so you internalize the shame because your brain can't figure out what's going on, then it creates a narrative that becomes self-cannibalizing. It must be something is wrong with you. So trauma, to reiterate, is anything that causes you emotional or physical pain 
and it affects your thoughts, feelings, and actions in the future or now, and that happened in the past, because at the time of that event or as a result of a relationship or a way of being, you know, trauma is not always just a one event thing. And I'm going to talk about that chronic trauma and and how that happens. But at some point, something taught you a false lesson. Your brain made a conclusion because of what was happening or had happened that there's something wrong with you and there's something to be afraid of. And that was a secret lesson, not one that you talked about roundtable workshop. What did we learn today? That became a secret lesson and not the kind you want to tell your best friend. When we have shame, we, we have the urge to hide it. So we protect ourselves by burying away this belief, this truth that we just learned that something is wrong with us. A seed is planted in our subconscious and it's a toxic seed that we have to hide who we are, that we are shameful, you know, and those sorts of beliefs are not ones that we feel like we can speak about or even acknowledge, of course, because it's shameful to be insecure or afraid. And we don't want other people to see or to know how terrible we are because we will feel humiliated if the truth is ever exposed. You know, shame is extremely painful and it's interesting because when we are in pain from, let's say, just a regular medical condition, the more pain we have, the louder we scream and cry and demand help and ask for what we need. When we're in pain, the normal instinct is to tell people and get help, but it's just the opposite with shame. The more ashamed we feel, the more we have this biological instinct to hide because we are hardwired to be accepted. And if we believe that other people will not accept us, then we want to hide whatever part of ourselves is not acceptable. Do you know how many women choke to death privately in restaurant bathrooms because they're too afraid to admit they're choking? The fear of being gross and ugly and bothering people is literally deadly. And so the shame that comes from trauma is insidious. It at best robs us of confidence and happiness. And and at worst, it becomes like a wildfire that tears through our whole being, our whole life. And so before I dig deeper, I want to tell you my simple, silly story. And I am purposefully choosing an example to share with you that is not horrific and painful, because I think it's so important for you to give yourself permission to identify areas where you've been traumatized in your life. My story isn't a childhood trauma or some sort of awful, obvious, negative thing. It's just a simple thing that happened to me that changed my view of myself and the world and that was dictating my behaviors in ways that did not serve me now because I hadn't connected the dots. 
And a large part of healing trauma, especially the little T traumas, I will get into the difference between the types of trauma, but what I'm about to tell you, very little T to the point where I could be embarrassed about it as though the only okay time to have big feelings is when big things happen and 10 out of 10 people would agree that you should feel traumatized, right? It's very important that we all stop playing that game, that we don't layer our shame with shame and judgment about the fact that we have shame or fear or that there is a right way to feel because there's not. There's just how you feel. And the sooner you look at it head on and give yourself whatever it is you need, if only validation that it's okay to feel the way you do, well, that's the only way to resolve it. We get it wrong when we say that feelings aren't facts. Actually, feelings are the only facts you need to be dealing with. And the way to deal with those facts is to uncover the deep-seated beliefs and the thoughts that aren't true. It's your thoughts that aren't facts. Your feelings are just a reflection of those thoughts. And negative feelings, painful feelings, harmful feelings are an invitation to get in there and weed your subconscious of the shitty beliefs that you've learned in the past. So here is my non-life-threatening story about something that happened to me that created some trauma that I had to deal with this week. So two years ago, I had just started my coaching business with recovery. And oh, I had just gotten some wind in my sails. I think I had 15 people in my group program. I was actually thinking that at some point in the future, I would be making money instead of just spending it, you know, getting it all going. I felt really confident. I felt like I was helping people and serving people. And after 20 plus years of staying home with my kids and being dependent on husband number one and husband number two for everything I needed financially, I actually felt for the first time in my life that I was capable of not only being a kick-ass professional, but getting paid for it. That was something that was really important to me. You know, I did work hard over 20 plus years, and I had actually been a coach for five or six years already when I started this business. I used to do gut health and hormone health and plant-based diet. But I had never actually treated that as a business. I spent more money than I made in my coaching, you know, going to school, getting my master's. And I worked with a lot of my clients for free, justifying that as I needed the practice and the experience. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. You know, for sure, you should get practice before you hang your shingle as a coach. But what I'm saying is I had finally gotten to a place where I felt worthy as a professional to charge for my services and not only just be a coach, but actually earn a paycheck. So I was five months into this iteration of my business and I was actually generating some revenue. I felt like I could finally take myself seriously as a professional, like maybe I'd even hire an assistant. And One day I woke up and realized I couldn't get into my Facebook account. Super weird, right? I had been hacked. And long story short, I was 
permanently banned from the Facebook platform. Now, this was traumatic for me for many reasons. First of all, personally, I'd been on Facebook for 12 years and had used that as my photo album and lost all of the pictures that I had ever posted from the time my kids were little. Big damn deal. Then I lost all connection to all my friends because Facebook platforms, it's not just Facebook. It was also Instagram, Messenger, and WhatsApp. So personally, that was a big deal in and of itself because I've moved around a lot and that was how I connected with my people. Say what you want about social media, it does give you a sense of identity. And suddenly, overnight, I ceased to exist. I lost access to my friends, to all the people I interacted with in various groups, some of which I was paying to be in. I lost access to friends I used to know that live in different places. I couldn't contact anybody. And that was traumatic and frustrating and scary. And that was just pers- the personal part of it. Then I had been working for years to build up a following on Facebook and Instagram. And I had developed my program to be functioning inside of a private Facebook group. All of my content, my videos, my worksheets, all of the things that I provided for people. I had put all of that into Facebook. And even bigger than that, I was using Facebook ads to attract new clients. And so my funnel of potential clients, people that, of course, have to see me and know me for a long period of time before they decide if they want to work with me, all of that, poof, gone overnight. My entire business model for how I would get and serve clients disappeared in an instant and took with it my sense of power and competence and belonging and ultimately my identity. And there was nothing I could do. Trust me, I tried. I hired a private company that helps with things like that, spent $1,000 on a private consultant who ultimately refunded my money. He couldn't do anything either. And so as you're listening to this, Obviously, I survived, but that event did teach me some false lessons. I felt naive and incompetent because I couldn't get it fixed. I felt unsafe, like no matter how hard I work or how good I am, everything can be taken away from me in a minute. And my business stopped being fun. I became hyper vigilant that everything could be taken away from me in a minute and that I can't ever let my guard down. And those beliefs got hardwired into my nervous system. And it's been two years since all that happened. And I'm super proud of myself for being resilient, but I still get triggered. And what does that mean? That means I react to a present moment challenge with those fears and beliefs of the past. And so my simple little story that I have to tell you that I am not embarrassed to share, or more accurately, I'm going to do it anyway, because I'm not going to let shame and fear make my decisions for me. 
So to wrap it up, I was off of Facebook for a year and then was able to start a new account. And now I just live in fear that they're going to figure out I'm not supposed to be there. (laughs) But recently we hit a snag. I'm not sure how serious it is. And my ads have been down for two weeks. And so once again, I don't have a funnel where new people are finding me. And that has triggered a shame cycle, shame and panic. And instead of dealing with those feelings, I did let them control me. And here's what it looked like. I spent, wait for it, 10 hours one day trying to write an email to send to my entire list, because I don't do that very often, to invite people to join the program, to see if I could fill the gap while we figure the Facebook thing out. And in my mind, that email had to be the best, the most inspiring, motivating, clarifying, life-changing email that I've ever written in my entire life. So that anybody who reads it feels like, oh my God, I have to sign up for Colleen's program right now. I cannot go another minute without it. And so bless my heart, I sat at my desk one day for over 10 hours writing and rewriting and deleting and changing and at the end of the day still had nothing that I felt I could send and that's the end of the story that is where I want you to see the cost of letting your feelings dictate your behavior not only did I strap myself to a chair like it was a hostage situation I had diarrhea and heart palpitations and I snapped at my people in my life because they wouldn't leave me alone and I, could, I needed to get this done. I didn't eat. I didn't walk. I didn't do any sort of self-care. I couldn't sleep. I was miserable. And I thought the reason I was miserable is because my Facebook ads aren't running. But the truth is that I was having a trauma response. And the only way to interrupt it was to identify that that was the real problem. And I can't say that the moment I realized it, everything was fine. But I can say that my primary goal was no longer writing that goddamn email. It was to make my mind and body a safe place to be. I immediately went into triaging my own self-care. And when you look at the big picture, that's always the next step. Because think about it. When you are in a state of panic and fear, you are not productive. You're likely just spinning your wheels and making things worse. I know that I write my best emails and record my best podcasts when I am in a state of confidence and abundance and groundedness and I've slept well. Fear and shame do not solve problems. They create them. And being able to recognize when you are in a trauma response and having the tools to regulate your nervous system is the game changer you're looking for. So let me explain that trauma exists on a spectrum. We're used to using the word with the big traumas, the life-threatening and permanently altering events that we associate with war and violence and sexual abuse and catastrophic acts of nature. 
most of that sort of trauma can be classified as acute trauma. But on the other end of the spectrum, you, you have more subtle situations that happen. But the common thread is that trauma is learning. So a false belief is formed, either that something is wrong with you, who the hell do you think you are, you are powerless, or that the world is unsafe and that people want to hurt you. And you carry that lesson with you and start applying it to future events. Keeping your guard up, lashing out before people can hurt you, being afraid of taking risks, or being reckless and stupid on the other side, thinking that you don't deserve good things, or that you're less valuable as a human being because you can't afford better things. Assuming that things are all your fault, things always go wrong for you. Trauma changes not only how you see the world, but how you interact with it. It changes your perceptions, how you see things, what you think things mean. It changes the way you solve problems because you're so focused on the worst case scenario. The big effect of trauma is that it actually blocks your view of all of the potential and all of the possibilities. When you're operating on worst case scenarios, you're playing defense, which blocks your opportunity to play offense. Dr. Conti talks about trauma as being the great eraser. It erases your awareness of your own values and strengths and goals, long-term goals, and all of the options and interpretations that are possible. It puts cognitive blinders on you, which means you're only aware of a very small portion of the big picture. So there's the negativity bias where you only notice what's wrong instead of noticing what's right. There's no partial credit in your world. There's no room for improvement. Things are either perfect or everybody can go fuck themselves. There's no try and see or wait and see because small and single details color the whole picture for you. That's called selective abstraction where you let some imperfection redefine a whole situation. Not just in the present, but in especially in the past. Trauma literally changes your memories. Think about somebody who has been happily married for 20 years and good, good relationship. We got kids. We do all the things. Life has been good. And then the spouse cheats and a divorce ensues. And when you talk to that person now, they've completely rewritten history. They think that all of their memories, the good ones, are based on a lie. And instead of grieving the betrayal and the loss of the relationship, they get stuck in bitterness and are unable to move on with their lives. That's trauma in action. And that's why it's so important to properly diagnose trauma because that person is under the impression that their ex-spouse completely ruined their lives. But in truth, they've suffered a trauma and now they're operating under a false belief that they're not safe 
they can't trust themselves or their own judgment, and that suffering for the rest of their life is the only option they have. One detail that their spouse was unfaithful has colored not only the past, but is holding their future hostage as well. Their view of themselves and life has been permanently altered. Trauma robs us of our ability to see the big picture. It creates mental habits that are more deconstructionist, like you're always trying to break things down so that you understand, you know, the smoking gun or the bottom line, and robs you of that synergistic thought process where you're able to create new meaning and new options and new ideas and see other things, be curious about what else could be true and what else is possible. Trauma tells you the verdict is already in and you lose. And whatever belief you walk away with from that traumatic experience spreads insidiously into other contexts of your life. It creates self-fulfilling prophecy because if all you can see is bad and you act as though that is true, then your actions create more of the same. That's how people go from one abusive relationship to the next. If somewhere in life you learned that you deserve to be yelled at or disrespected and or that you might be able to fix that if you just try hard enough, then you're going to feel really uncomfortable in a relationship where there is an equal balance of power and someone treats you with respect. Because again, you don't deserve that and you don't trust that because that's not how relationships work and or you're bored because there's nothing to fix. And the very absence of a problem becomes a problem because they must not love you or care. If you believe that love has to be earned or proven, then it can't exist for you without turmoil. I mean, it's crazy, right? Trauma perpetuates itself. The more hopeless and helpless you feel, the stronger your desire for relief because our bodies literally are not safe places to be. There's an inner bully, an inner critic beating us up and scaring the shit out of us, telling us we're broken and alone and trapped. And so we need to drink or take drugs or medications, whatever, We fuel ourselves with too much caffeine and junk food or Netflix or scrolling on our phone. We let ourselves get so overbooked and overstimulated because we can't handle being silent and alone with ourselves because we're afraid to acknowledge that we think something is wrong with us and that our best efforts are never going to be good enough. Some of us run ourselves into the ground trying to prove that wrong, and some of us give up before we start. But either way, that belief, a false belief, has hijacked our lives and replaced our healthy emotions with self-limiting and self-defeating emotions and completely erased the bigger picture from our point of view. And the more intensely we believe in our own weakness and limitations, the more we hide. That is the insidiousness of trauma. It eats us alive. 
And I want to give you a perspective shift to challenge your own inside voice right now, because we are so programmed to be able to talk about our strengths and our weaknesses, or our talents and our flaws, or our success and our failures. If you want to remove the box from your thinking and get straight to the heart, understand that there is no such thing as success or failure or even strengths or weakness. If you can lift a 20 pound dumbbell, that's not strong or weak. It's 20 pounds. If you make $50,000 a year, that's not a lot or a little. It's $50,000. I'm turning 50 this month. That's not old. That's not young. That's 50 years. When you remove the filter of emotion, things aren't good or bad or right or wrong or fair or unfair or better or worse or easy or hard or less than or more than. It just is what it is. Learning how to neutralize things so that they're not judged, that is the cognitive tool that will serve you and move you forward. Only by learning how to look at things objectively, are you able to respond objectively so that you're not applying the false lessons that you've learned through traumatic experiences. And if I could say that there's one skill that I teach as a coach, that would be what I boil it down to. Being able to tell the difference between a neutral circumstance and the thoughts and feelings about what you're making it mean is the skill of all skills. We just did this on a group call this week. A gal had a major breakthrough. She's a financial planner and she found out that one of her clients had moved his account. So she was no longer his financial planner and that affects her bottom line. And she realized that she didn't have to make that mean anything, that he's an asshole or she didn't do a good job or that she's going to, quote, lose money. The bottom line is she knows how to make money, so I guess she'll go get a new client. Like she realized she could just skip all of the trauma drama that she has been living under in the past with her relationship to money and what it means about her own value and other people's value. Like she's lifted off the rules that her brain has determined about money and people and personal worth. And it was absolutely freeing to realize she had that option. She doesn't have to believe her brain and her nervous system, which is tied to her brain, that she's not safe and that this is a huge problem. She can think differently about the whole situation. And that's the thing. You have to realize that emotions are messages from the past. And when you allow them to make decisions for you, you are living in the past or You can stop and interpret those emotions, articulate the underlying beliefs, and then put it through a bullshit detector. None of your thoughts are are true, by the way. Thoughts aren't real. They're just stories we make up and try to get other people to agree with us. And don't get me wrong, stories are great. But do you really want to let old stories control you? If you can't think beyond your own default narrative, then the way you have felt in the past 
will be the way you feel in the future. That's the game, kids. Welcome to the Matrix. And the only way to escape the Matrix is to heal the trauma that's run in the programs in your nervous system and in your brain. And I've got five components that will help you see the big picture of the process. The first one is awareness. Like you have to acknowledge it's the presence of trauma. And the question that I would ask myself or that you can use is, is this truth or is this trauma? So the other day when I was at hour 10 and I realized I'd spent my whole day and accomplished nothing because I was in a state of panic and urgency and graspiness, that was the moment I realized, oh, I've been thinking and sitting in circles for 10 hours. This isn't about the email. Something else is going on. So when you realize your behavior or your emotional reaction is outsized or undersized to it doesn't match the situation, like you'd be embarrassed to admit it, like, hello, shame. That, that's shame on the phone. If you're behaving in a way that you're not super proud of and you would like to share that with everybody on your Instagram feed, then that's the point of entry in terms of why am I behaving this way or why am I feeling this way? Just noticing that your thoughts are really negative. Your inner critic is really active, telling you that you're wrong or bad or stupid or never going to get there or you should have known or you're gullible or naive. Like just noticing that you're down on yourself, that is an invitation to ask yourself, why are you responding to yourself like that? And where did you learn how to do that? Is this a pattern? What triggered the shame? Okay, so just realizing, okay, that you are in a situation where you're not dealing with the truth, you're living in the trauma, and an autoresponder in your nervous system is now calling the shots. Awareness at its core is just realizing there's a difference between what's happening in the external world and what's happening in your mind and shifting your focus to what's happening in your mind, in your body, okay? So the second component is to start processing, which means you're going to have to get it out of your head. You're going to have to put it into words, and I don't mean sitting around thinking. You either need to talk about it with somebody you trust or short of that, write, write it down in a journal. But the story has to come out of your body. The story about why you think something is wrong with you or why you're in danger, why you're feeling the way you're feeling, that has to be articulated. So you can bring that subconscious narrative into consciousness. Because so often, like, it's subconscious for a reason. It's We're doing and thinking and paying attention to what's going on in the outside world. And we have no idea that this program that's generating tension and hypervigilance and lowering our mood and increasing our anxiety, like we're not even aware of, of really what's going on. So stop and paying attention to those feelings and then giving them words is the only way to see 
the beliefs that are fil- that are filtering the world and and creating a perception of threat or problem. Underneath the story is beliefs and bringing those beliefs into consciousness is the first step to purging your subconscious. So you got to talk about it or write it out and see it, look at it so that it is not you anymore. It is a belief about your identity that exists separately from your identity. It is something you think or believe, not who you are. And teasing those apart requires a witness. Only when you're in the presence of somebody who has compassion and empathy and listens to you, are you able to see yourself more clearly. When you're left alone with your thoughts, you just believe everything you think. Having somebody hold space for you allows you to identify the difference between who you are in your core and what you believe about yourself. Everybody in my group program gets at least one private session with me. And usually when they finally get me alone, the conversation begins with something like, there's something I haven't told you. There's something about me that I can't share with everybody else on the group calls. And then they proceed to tell me the secret, the truth about themselves that is attached to their shame, the story as to why they believe they are irrevocably damaged. And every single one of those calls ends in joy. It is such a privilege to be able to hold space for people, to watch as they crawl out from under whatever rock is weighing them down, and then to stand there with them and look at it and see that it's just a rock and they don't have to carry it alone or at all. Sometimes it's something that happened to them, and sometimes it's something they did. But the story is of the past, and it's not who they are. And when they realize that the words that they have shared with me haven't changed anything, the story loses its power. And I can tell you that it's for sure possible to hold space for yourself with little t traumas. But the deeper the trauma and the more painful it is, the more you really will want to seek out, whether it be a family member or a clergy member who can hold space for you or a licensed clinician. You know, if you are dealing with big T trauma, you really want to get professional help. My goal with this podcast is to help you identify when trauma is in play. You can't do my five steps and heal all your trauma. If you could do this on your own, you already would have. My goal is simply to help you see that there's a difference between trauma and truth. And that leads me to the third component, which is to identify all of the effects. Like what effects does does the trauma that you're dealing with have on the way you think and the way you feel, and all of your behaviors? Like, how does it cause you to show up? How is it affecting your life? Like, pull all the way out. You know, if you are identifying an event or a specific situation that is far in the past, look and see how that trauma affects 
affected you and how it changed you. You know, what was the difference between the world before and after? What were the secret lessons that you internalized? What new beliefs about yourself that are shitty did you walk away from and then start applying those beliefs to new situations or in new relationships? What opportunities have you missed out on or chances that you have not taken because you believed in your own limitations? What memories have been affected and contaminated by trauma? Like if you think about trauma like a virus, where else has has been infected? How did that infect your life? How did a belief, a shameful, dark belief about yourself, how has that infected your life? What does it cost you? And don't ask these questions from a victim mindset. Try to keep it neutral, non-judgmental. You've been doing the very best you can with the tools you've had available. And just remember, trauma is a learning process where you learned and start applying a lesson from a very, very painful memory, but your brain is always learning. So part of unlearning trauma is to fully account for its impact. Only by seeing the big picture do you have access to your other options, okay? And the next component is ownership, which I can say can be really sticky. And it simply requires for you to understand what you're owning. You are not at fault for things that have happened to you or people that have hurt you. You are not at fault for the way you responded or what you came to believe about yourself or your limitations or life or the unfairness of the world. That's a perfectly normal response. And remember, the problem with shame is that the worse it gets, the more you are biologically uh, urged to hide it. We all are. That's why nobody's talking about this. That's why dealing and processing with your shame is not taught in kindergarten. So compassion is key. And if you're struggling with that, just start with your response to your shame response, as though you're telling yourself you should be smarter than that, or you should be able to let this go, or having a trauma response means you're bitter or small-minded or somehow ridiculous. You just can't heal shame with that attitude. I mean, my silly story about sitting in front of my computer for 10 hours, right, not even finishing an email, like I could totally feel ashamed and embarrassed about that. But that would perpetuate the problem. Or if you're the woman who's been bitter over the infidelity of a spouse and you feel like you've lost 10 years, lost is not an objective term. It's a judgmental term. You've lived 10 years in pain. And the question is, are you ready to heal? Are you willing to let go of that story? And that brings me to the fifth component of healing trauma. And that is in order to heal it, you have to expand 
your perspective of the past so that it includes more details, so that it's not a crystallized moment in time that boils down to one takeaway lesson. And I think often we we are told, and I think I've even said myself in the past, you have to rewrite your story, giving you the impression that you have to lie or change it. And that's not the way healing trauma works. You just have to expand the story. You have to put it into some perspective. If if only just what you've learned or how you've been able to heal and work through that. If the original lesson of the painful experience was that something is wrong with you, then going through this and now coming to a place where you're going to correct that lesson becomes the new lesson. Like this now has a much bigger purpose in that you have learned how to heal from trauma. The trauma became the teacher of healing instead of limitations, if that makes sense. One of my favorite quotes, I forget which philosopher says it, is that the suffering ends once the pain has meaning. So finding the meaning of why you've gone through what you've gone through and how you can apply this to the future, how this is going to help you and perhaps others navigate painful situations in the future, because as long as you're alive, you're not done yet, right? As long as you can find the meaning of healing and overcoming the pain of the past, that changes your relationship to it. You'll always remember the pain, but you no longer will relive it once you've healed from the trauma and made meaning and put it into a broader perspective and context. It is absolutely possible to change your relationship with memories in the past by changing what the memory means. Okay, our memories, spoiler alert, change with every single recall. Every time you remember an event, let's say, or anything, every time you remember something, it is like opening up a Word document, making a few edits, and resaving. So what you may not realize, I don't realize, and I don't really even believe it, is that over time, especially things that you have dwelled on, if you were to go in a time machine and go back, like that's not actually how it happened. There was a study done post 9-11 where they asked people, you know, where they were and certain questions about the details of the day when the towers fell and then re-interviewed them five years later and 10 years later. And obviously this was a study about trauma because it was very traumatic. But the, they, at the 10 year mark, they were arguing with their own narrative. Like, I don't know why I would have lied. I don't know why I would have said that because that is actually not true. That is how strongly we, we attach emotions to our memory and how attached we get to those emotions. And only by, by decoupling how you feel about what you think, that's what allows you to change what you think and then 
come up with new perspectives and new meaning for the memory. And expanding a traumatic memory to include other details so that the entire event or situation or circumstance is not defined by how you felt in one given moment. And obviously, I am in this case talking about little t traumas, the comment that your mother said, or your fucked up relationship with your father. This podcast episode is by no means a tutorial on how to heal big T trauma. My goal of this episode is for you to walk away with some awareness of how to see the fingerprints of trauma in your life because trauma is hidden by definition. We hide it and you just can't change something until you can see it. So I hope that this episode moves the needle for you in terms of normalizing, talking about, and thinking about trauma. You do not have to have been held at gunpoint or sold into sex slavery to have trauma. We all have trauma. Trauma is anything that causes emotional or physical pain and affects your thoughts, feelings, and actions moving forward. It's the secret lesson of shame where you internalize the idea that something is wrong with you. So anything that's ever made you feel that way and affected your behavior in the future is trauma. But hopefully with some of the tools I've given you, if you're dealing with little t trauma, you can get to work on identifying where it's at in your life and taking some action to heal.